2: Welcome everyone to the Ultimate NBA Season Preview Podcast presented by Odyssey and the Lockdown Podcast Network. Our Lockdown local experts covering every team are here to help you get ready for the NBA season. This week, we're visiting five groups of teams that we have dubbed the Contenders, the Tankers, the Debatables, the Playoff Hopefuls, and the Teams on the Rise. Today, we're going to take a deep dive into the Teams on the Rise. These are teams that have young stars who are looking to take the next step forward into the play-in tournament or in the playoffs. The Memphis Grizzlies, New Orleans Pelicans, Toronto Raptors, Charlotte Hornets, Minnesota Timberwolves, and yes, the Sacramento Kings. So let's start it all off today and hear from one of our Odyssey experts, Ryan McDonough, who is the Phoenix Suns general manager and understands what it's like to be a team on the rise as the guy who drafted Devin Booker, DeAndre Aiden, and Mikhail Bridges. Let's hear Ryan McDonough's thoughts on the teams with arguably the two biggest stars of this group, the Pelicans and the Hornets.
3: The Pelicans were one of the most active teams this offseason. They parted ways with head coach Stan Van Gundy, replacing him with son's assistant Willie Green. New Orleans also shuffled point guards. They sent Lonzo Ball to Chicago and Eric Bledsoe to Memphis while bringing in Devante Graham in a sign-and-trade with Charlotte. They replaced front court bruiser Stephen Adams with another physical center in Jonas Valanciunas. They also added veterans Garrett Temple and Thomas Sadoransky from Chicago. The Pelicans' ceiling will be determined by their young talent, especially athletic phenom Zion Williamson, who's been one of the most dominant forces in the paint when he's been healthy, but he has missed the playoffs in his first two seasons. Brandon Ingram was an all-star in 2020. Josh Hart is a talented perimeter rebounder. So the Pelicans have some young talent around Zion, but they need Zion to get healthy. He's been injured in the preseason, and they also need this team to come together quickly if they want to get back into the playoffs. The Hornets were one of the most electric teams in the league a year ago, making the play-in tournament behind their electric rookie point guard, LaMelo Ball. Charlotte felt good enough about Ball's performance that they sent Devontae Graham to New Orleans, clearing the deck for this to be Ball's team alongside Terry Rozier in the backcourt. I expect this team to be one of the most exciting in the league, led by the brilliance of Ball and Ish Smith, the speedy backup point guard. They signed this offseason to push the pace them to take the next step they'll need a versatile wing in Gordon Hayward to stay healthy Uh, they also need to continue developing their young forwards Miles Bridges and P.J. Washington they were one of the league surprise teams a year ago and they want to continue to build on that momentum now that they have a franchise corner place in place in the 20 year old LaMelo Ball
4: Welcome to the Ultimate NBA Season Preview. We've got a roundtable here with our Locked On hosts for Teams on the Rise. I'm Jake Madison, host of the Locked On Pelicans podcast and the Locked On NBA podcast on Wednesdays. You can follow me on Twitter at Nola Jake. We've also got Ben Beacon of Locked On Wolves. Say hi, Ben. Hey,
5: everybody. Ben Beacon, Locked On Wolves. You can find me on Twitter at BBeacon and also at wolves. I'm also the editor of the Dunking with Wolves site on Fansided.
6: Hey, guys. Hello, everyone. Uh, my name is Sean Coleman. I uh, am a credentialed media member with the Grizzlies. Have uh, wrote about him over at uh, SB Nation's Grizzly Bear Blues, the host of Locked on Grizzlies. fun to cheer for a team that knows how to develop talent, but my co-host in Toronto, excuse me, one of the co-hosts of the Locked on NBA podcast network up in Toronto knows how to cover a team with good development, and that's Mr. Sean Woodley.
7: thanks sean yeah i'm sean woodley Uh, i've been writing for raptorshq.com for six years now covering the team as a credentialed media member during that time Uh, also co-authored the book called we the champs after the raptors won the nba title in 2019 and now i'll kick it to matt george
8: Hi, I'm Matt George, and I don't know what an NBA title is because I cover the <laughs> Sacramento Kings for the Locked On <laughs> Kings podcast. And I'm happy to be here, happy to be in the group that's not the tanking group. And I have I have some decent expectations for the Kings this year. I'm looking forward to chatting about it from ABC10 here uh, in Sacramento. Excited to be here.
9: I'm Walker Mayle of Locked On Hornets. I also don't know what a title is, but the Hornets have some pretty cool starter jackets, and so we got that going for us in our history. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Walker Mail you can find the show handle of course at Lockdown Hornets and follow us if you want some more Charlotte knowledge over the rest year rest of the year
4: Thank you all very much for listening to the ultimate NBA season preview. We've got a bunch of round tables covering all the teams around the league. And we've got a couple of questions and we're going to kick it off with the one that's kind of simple for this group. How could your team take the next step? Let's kick it to, to Matt George with Locked on Kings, because I'm curious, how do the Kings go from being kind of an also ran to being in playoff contention?
8: Well, it starts with uh, making the playoffs for the first time in 15 years. And if the Kings miss the playoffs, it'll be 16 straight seasons, which I believe is an NBA record. So the Kings are, are looking to avoid uh, that record. But it, it's the play-in isn't good enough. And I think everybody believes that if the Kings are going to make the playoffs, it's through the play-in tournament. And even though play-in is classified as postseason, that's not good enough for this Kings team. They have uh, let... Uh, head coach uh, Luke Walton, general manager Monty McNair, they have let the fan base let everybody know that the goal this year is, is playoffs or bust. So it's an easy bar to hold this team to. And if the Kings do not make the playoffs, and again, I'm saying that's like a best of seven series, even if they're eliminated in the first round, doesn't matter. If they make a best of seven series, people probably keep their jobs. If they don't, uh, we might see some heads roll in a bloodbath come next offseason. Yeah,
5: I feel, like I, I feel like I should jump in if we're talking uh, teams that don't know we talked about a lot of teams don't know what championships are. The Timberwolves have been in the playoffs one time in the last, uh, I think it's 17 years now, one time in the last 17 years. Um, so uh, similar feelings here, to be sure. In terms of how the Wolves take, take the next step, if we're setting aside health, which I think is always fair to do, it's improving defensively. It's um, And frankly, the difference between terrible to average is as big usually as average to great, and that's really all we need to see out of Carl Anthony Towns, Anthony Edwards, if those guys can compete defensively, um, there were some signs of life late last year and, and so far uh, in preseason, dare I say that. Uh, but I mean, adding Patrick Beverly to the group defense is going to improve more minutes for Jaden McDaniels, more minutes for Jared Vanderbilt. Um, uh, I think that's how this team makes that next step and goes from, you know, the 500 ish team that they were at the end of last season when they were mostly healthy to a legit, you know. And, and honestly, here it's it's play in tournament, too, is probably the uh, the the only way that the Wolves are going to going to sniff the playoffs.
6: I'll jump in here real quick and say that as the, you know, person that covers the team that was in the playoffs last year, again as the one who covers the only team of this group that was in the playoffs last year, <laughs> the only one, kidding. Covering the Grizzlies, you know, obviously they did make the playoffs last year, but a team that certainly is trying to transition out of the version that they were over the past two years under Taylor Jenkins to a new team really focusing on the young guys. And like Walker and Charlotte, such as Matt George in Sacramento, the key is the engine that runs our teams, and that's our young star point guard, John Morant, him taking the next step to be in all-star conversation. Obviously, the next narrative like OG Ananobi in Toronto is can Jaron Jackson Jr. take that next step, being a most improved candidate, perhaps being in the all-star conversation. But one thing that really steps, you know, up, this year, in my opinion, is the young core besides Jaw and Jaren to support them. The Grizzlies are going all in betting on that young core, really wanting to emphasize winning by their defense and letting the three go more. So the playoffs are still the goal, but playing a solid of basketball that can let us reach the playoffs and advanced in the playoffs is that next step. We're really hoping to see with Memphis this year.
4: Yeah, you, and I'll jump in, make in there. Thanks that, to Oh, go ahead, Jake. No, I mean, he makes a really good point about kind of that internal development. And for the Pelicans, that's kind of the number one thing. They lost Lonzo Ball. They brought in Devontae Graham. You can almost call that kind of an even upgrade. But if the Pelicans want to get into the play in tournament around Zion Williamson and Brandon Ingram and the lack of moves they really made in free agency, it comes down to internal development, which I think all of these teams are kind of doing to a certain extent, right? You're kind of all banking that the guys you've drafted take a step up. For the Pelicans, it's Nikhil Alexander-Walker becoming maybe an above-average starter for for the team, a guy like Jackson Hayes becoming that big, that center that that works well next to Zion Williamson. And that's kind of what it's going to be. It's not going to be free agents. It's not even going to be the new coaching change that they made bringing in Willie Green. It's that internal growth, I think, is kind of the biggest thing for New Orleans to be able to take that leap.
7: That's very much the same deal with the Raptors as well. And it's kind of a weird thing because a lot of the core guys that the Raptors have locked in who they're expecting to take some sort of leap here have already been around and won a title and have that experience. It's just a matter of kind of, you know, now emerging from the shadow of Kyle Lowry. Now that he's gone, he's no longer the sort of lead father figure of the team. And they kind of get a shot to take it on their own. And we're seeing it so far in preseason. OG Ananobi, for example, Sean mentioned him he might be the answer to the question, how do the Raptors take the next step? OG in the preseason is averaging like 20 a game. He's got a true shooting north of 70. He's been creating his own shot. If he can become like a guy who you can run your offense through, that quickly turns the Raptors from this sort of speculative team of long, weird dudes into a team that's (laughs) kind of centered around OG Ananobi, Pascal Siakam, Fred Van Vliet, and that's a core you're pretty happy going forward with
9: yeah i mean i wish i was different i guess that's why we're all kind of grouped together in this one podcast but <laughs> internal improvement it's the key it's the key for all of us and it's the same thing for the charlotte hornets i thought the charlotte hornets might be a little bit bigger of a player than they were in free agency they got kelly Oubre, but that was late kelly probably was looking for a bigger deal decided there's not anything better let's see what the hornets can do for me and he seems genuinely excited through media day but the point being that's the biggest free agent signing you have. I thought we'd go get your boy, Matt, and Rashawn Holmes and eventually decided to stay in Sacramento, and that would have really helped. Yeah, no, I, I wish we would uh, could have gotten them, especially at that price, but they didn't upgrade the center position as much. They go after Mason Plumley, thought that was going to be a backup center, and instead that's going to be the starter once opening night hits against the Pacers on October 20th. It's all about internal improvement. Can LaMelo Ball be that all-star consideration point guard? Can P.J. Washington continue to take a step up, not only as an excellent shooter, but also as somebody that can maybe put the ball in the deck a little more, create, and just continue his defensive improvement? And can Miles Bridges be the same player he was at the end of the season on that type of volume, where the last month and a half or so in the absence of Gordon Hayward, can he continue the 20 points per game, the 50-40-90 flirting club, allow that to kind of go and spread the wealth throughout the entire season. Like it's all about internal improvement with probably those three guys more so than anyone else, along with the Terry Rozier continuing to stay, do exactly what he did last year. And Gordon Hayward, can you just stay healthy? But again, it's all about what can you do from an improvement standpoint from guys that have already been on the roster that are younger players.
6: And Jake, I wanted to say something real quick as well. Something that stands out about the Grizzlies is that, yes, they were the team out of this group that made the playoffs last year, but something that stands out to me comparing the Grizzlies to these other five teams is when you look at the top with the Wolves and the Pelicans and the Raptors and the Kings and the Hornets even, you've got an established veteran as one of your top two or three guys. You've got a guy who you can clearly see coming in as the number two. With the Grizzlies, you hope that's Jaron Jackson Jr. And while theoretically we may be the deepest, we also may have the most Questions to answer. So, I do think when you look at the depth, yeah, the Grizzlies may have that over these other teams. But when you look at those go to clear top one, top two guys, I think all five of y'all may be in a better, a more certain position in that aspect than where the Grizzlies stand. And that's certainly something good to have going into the second or third season of that, you know, for your teams. There's been oh, a little so
8: number- jump in. Sorry, go ahead, Matt. I was just going to say there's been a number of seasons where looking at the Sacramento Kings roster, you say, This team has names. This team has talent. They've just never lived up to it. Somehow the Sacramento Kings a number of years ago couldn't win with Rudy Gay, DeMarcus Cousins, and Isaiah Thomas all scoring 20-plus points per game. That's not a joke. They had three players averaging 20-plus points, and that team couldn't come close to the playoffs. And now that with the play-in tournament that two-thirds of the freaking Western Conference makes the playoffs, geez, you'd think the Kings would be able to work their way in uh, that way. But, I mean, Rashawn Holmes was brought up earlier, and he was the major free agency signing for the Kings. Huge win for Sacramento to bring him back this off season. But with the exception of the draft of Davion Mitchell and maybe like signing Alex Len, this is basically the same team last year. Now, big difference is what the team was at the start of the season with absolutely no depth and what they were at the end of the season. Thanks to some moves, the trade deadline, the depth was completely different. This team does have depth this year, but in terms of your core, it's still the same of, of Fox and Halliburton, which are exciting. Rashawn Holmes is part of that. Harrison Barnes is all reliable, but who knows uh, how much more he can really give from a, uh, like a star starter status. Uh, and then, I mean, you still got buddy healed. You still got Marvin Bagley and you still got the rest of that roster. So the Kings are banking on a, a, core that has been together for the last few years with the exception of Tyrese Halliburton continuing to improve and we know in Sacramento that's always a gamble
7: yeah I can kind of maybe go against the grain a little bit here I know I said internal development like everyone else here is probably the path here for the Raptors but there's also a chance that the path for the Raptors to take that next step is via trade and and that's something they've kind of lined themselves up for here and something they've done over the years where they kind of have a lot of easily movable attractive contracts with young players attached to them Pascal Siakam, OG Ananobi, Fred VanVleet, Gary Trent Jr. makes a really convenient seventeen million dollars or so. You know, this could be what the Raptors are planning to do. It's not a free agent destination necessarily, and maybe they don't view any of their guys they have in house as the sort of guy you build a championship team around down the line but maybe a Carl Anthony Towns or someone else comes available, and then they have the pieces to potentially go and take that step via trade. Ben, I see you shaking your head, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's just the name. I'm not saying it's Towns. You know, Ben Simmons has been, been kicked around for like as well. Years. Please stay away from Ben Simmons if you're the Raptors. Uh, there's no need to go touch that with any, num- any length of pole by any means. But, uh, yeah, I-, I think that's – of all the teams here, I would argue maybe the Raptors are the most likely to kind of veer off the developmental path and say, you know what? We've had success here putting our chips into the table and trading for a star. Maybe they try to do that in the next couple years here whenever somebody shakes free.
0: We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? Only
1: at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible
0: trade in when you switch.
1: Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.
2: Now let's focus on the only team from this group that actually made the playoffs last year, the Memphis Grizzlies, and get Ryan McDonough's thoughts on the moves they made this offseason, and then we'll hear from Connor Dooning from ESPN Radio in Memphis on why the Grizzlies' future
3: is so bright. The Grizzlies broke through last season, winning two consecutive play-in games while also winning game one of the playoffs against the Jazz in Salt Lake City. John Morant is a rising superstar. He should be firmly in the All-Star mix. And Jaron Jackson Jr. is a versatile, talented young big man who has struggled to stay healthy throughout his career. Memphis made a few trades this offseason that should help them in the future but could cause them to take a step back in the short term, including sending out their physical center, Jonas Valanciunas, to New Orleans. Now, this is a very young team. Every player on their current roster is in his 20s. So let's try to balance competing for the playoffs with the development of their young players, including first-round pick Zaire Williams. Uh, now, this team starts and ends with Morant. Uh, G- Dylan Brooks is tough and gritty. We'll see if Jackson can stay healthy. Um, but the Grizz will want to try to get back into the playoffs this year, although it won't be easy in a loaded Western Conference.
10: Why is the future so bright for the Grizzlies? It's a pretty simple answer because the ping pong ball dropped the right way for him. That's what it is. It's John Morant. John Morant. The night that they got John Morant, the trajectory for the Memphis Grizzlies completely changed. And that's going to continue this season. I mean, what else is there to say about this guy? He's absolutely electric, and on top of that, he also happens to be a great leader that makes everyone on the court around him a better player, and right now, he's developing a three-point shot, because if we're going to be honest about something, the defense and the three-point shot, those are the holes in Ja Morant's games, if you actually want to call them holes, so he's going to fix up that three-point shot, get that to like 37, 38 percent, that would be beautiful, but the thing that I really want to see Ja work on is that mid-range game. If he can be absolutely automatic from 16 feet in the same vein that CP3 is, he's going to be on but let's go ahead and jump into some non-Ja reasons why the future are so bright for the Memphis Grizzlies. The first one is pretty simple. It's age. The Grizzlies are the second youngest team in the league, and most guys have already gotten a taste of the playoffs. You have Milton, Bain, Tillman, Ja, Jaron Jackson Jr., Zaire Williams, and even Dylan Brooks. The youth talent for the Memphis Grizzlies is absolutely through the roof. And the biggest thing about these guys is they're 100% bought in. And they also have some veteran leadership in that locker room. You have Steven Adams, you have Kyle Anderson, you have Tyus Jones. It's such a great balance of youth and veteran leadership in that locker room. It's going to be very important for the Memphis Grizzlies this upcoming season. Let me tell you, if that chemistry is humming like I think it's going to be, I wouldn't be shocked to see the Memphis Grizzlies sneak back into the playoffs this year. Because like I said, this group already has playoff experience last year with the Utah Jazz Series. And another reason the Grizzlies have such a bright future is the culture. It's established. The Grizzlies front office very clearly has an archetype of a player that they like to have. High IQ, dynamic, scrappy, motivated. He's going to come in every single day, be 100% bought in, work his ass off, and try to win every single game. You can watch Dylan Brooks. Every single time he plays basketball, he leaves everything on the court, and the rest of the youth, they're watching that, and they're bought into that, and that is why it's important. It's such a rare opportunity for the Grizzlies when you have this combination of young guys with high IQ that are also 100% bought in, and they don't care about playing minutes. That is so important. They only want to win. It's such a bright future for the Memphis Grizzlies, and I'm telling you, the sky is the limit in the 901.
4: Welcome back to the Ultimate NBA Season Preview, doing a locked-on host roundtable here. These are the teams that are on the rise, could get into the playoffs, maybe kind of into that play-in tournament level. And we've got the next question for the group here, and that's a real simple one. What are your team's expectations. You see your team deep into the playoffs. Is it simply getting into the play-in tournament? Let's start with Ben Beacon of Locked On. Wolves is a team that's only been in the playoffs once, you said, in the past 16, 17 years. What's the feeling in Minnesota going into the season so far?
5: Well, it's definitely playoffs or bust, and that includes the play-in. I mean, I think uh, the 9 or 10 seed is the most realistic expectation for the Wolves. Um, And honestly, right now, I know that a lot of power rankings and all that good stuff has them a little bit lower than that in the West, you know, 11th or 12th. I actually think that the roster, we talked a little bit earlier about, um, you know, there was some, some of you guys were bringing up depth on your rosters or being top heavy. The Timberwolves have been top heavy for a while with Carl Anthony Towns, um, even the Jimmy Butler year when they went to the playoffs. And now there's actually a little bit of depth. I mean, two years ago, Travion Graham was in the starting lineup at the start of the season. Last year it was Josh Akogi. And now he's like the seventh guy in the rotation instead of a starter you're relying on. So I think depth is going to carry this team and, and they can be a nine or 10 seed. Absolute best case, which I guess isn't the isn't the question, but absolute best case, I honestly think this team could be a six or seven seed um, if they stay healthy and and everybody plays to their talent level. I think the most realistic scenario is nine or ten, um, and they're in the play in conversation. <laughs>
6: I'll just go ahead and say that you know the Grizzlies, you know, I know they made the playoffs last year, but I honestly don't feel that that is the top expectation for this team this year in my opinion. That's the that's the goal for the team, obviously, but my biggest thing, my hope is the expectations being answered of who is going to step up and be a part of this core. Um, w- w- whenever we see what's going on as far as their young core goes, is Jaron going to be the number two guy? Is Desmond Bain going to step up and be a long term starter? Who emerges as being the clear backup preferred big? or or, or Xavier Tillman or Brandon Clark. I want roles to be defined. I want jaw to show he clearly can be the one a or one B on a championship contender, Jaron Jackson, Jr to show he could be a top three guy on a championship or at least on a sustainable winner and Taylor Jenkins to show he is truly the answer to be our head coach in the next evolution of this team. So yes, the playoffs are there. I wouldn't call it playoffs or bust, but can we shoot the three better? Is our defense truly a top 10 defense year in and year out? And what players really step up and define their roles for the future? That would be some of the expectations I'd like to see answered even more than making the playoffs this year.
4: So are you, are you kind of copping out on the playoff question because they shook their roster up a little bit this year, losing a guy like Valanciunas? I don't know, to, to New Orleans, let's say, but I think that's a pretty <laughs> significant loss for a team that really relied on him last year.
6: It's a very good point, but the thing that I'll say is this: one of the reasons why they traded Valanciunas, and we hated to see him go, New Orleans gained an absolutely wonderful player and person in Jonas Valanciunas. But they got back Stephen Adams, who I know certainly was not, you know, of himself last year. Last year was one of the worst he had in the NBA. But the Grizzlies are emerging as one of the better development teams in the league, in my opinion, kind of like the Raptors have a reputation of being, I feel that they're going to regain that value. And I feel that the Grizzlies really want to put that to the test. How good can they really put together a team that can take that next step themselves before, like Sean Woodley said, they make that type of consolidation, we're going to the next step type trade. They want to have as much certainty as possible about that roster before they make that move. I just put a bit more emphasis on that being figured out even more than the playoffs this year. So, yeah, it was a cop-out. <laughs> cop congratulations.
8: Jake, you got it's a player. A, it's
4: all good there. Huh?
8: Jake, you got a player in New Orleans and Jonas Valanciunas that likes to pull young players off the rim by their by their foot and throw them to the floor. So, congratulations. That's the kind of guy that you got.
4: <laughs> we probably need a little bit of t- more toughness here in New Orleans. Um, so, Walker, what are your expectations for the Charlotte Hornets going into this year in year two of LaMelo Ball?
9: Yeah, I mean, I think the Vegas over-under is like 36-and-a-half. I would guess the over. It's a good number by Vegas. It's why they're good at what they do. I I mean, I think the Hornets finished in the play-in tournament last year. I think what they've done, and media day, everybody, Terry Rozier led everyone, but Miles Bridges, uh, a lamello ball, they all echoed the same sentiment that it's going to be a playoffs or bust type of year for this team. I think this season, the takes are going to be wild about the Charlotte Hornets because this is a team where, yeah, they got in the play-in tournament last year. Probably played a little above their expectation. You saw them get all the way to the four seed when everyone was healthy. Gordon Hayward, he goes out because his health has not been good the last couple of seasons. So it's not like we're all shocked to see that happen. But after that happens, LaMelo Ball fractures his wrist. Malik Monk, who was a big contributor, he goes down. And then you have to step up with Terry Rozier and Miles Bridges. They eventually, again, land in the play-in tournament after being close to a four seed. I would expect them to be a play tournament team again. And this is just because the way that the Eastern Conference got better, right? Like Chicago, they went out, they got Vucevic, they got DeMar DeRozan. They're certainly better. They would have to improve a lot more than what the New York Knicks were last year. This is a team that got all the way to the 4 seed. They're not going to be better than the Hawks who got to the Eastern Conference finals. Despite Philadelphia... Having all the Ben Simmons problems. You can't say the Hornets are going to be better than Philly. And you get the picture by now that all spells the Hornets being in the play in tournament. And so while I think they'll be better than the 36 and a half put on them by Vegas, I think overall it's going to be, you know, kind of trying to get to 500 and they're going to be probably that seven to nine seed, something like that. I think absolute. Ceiling for them is probably six or five, which would be great. We'd be thrilled with that here in Charlotte. And that's what the Hornets organization is shooting for. But realistically, yeah, I mean, you're probably shooting for a seven or nine seat.
8: Yeah, I, I kind of spoiled this already a little bit earlier, but it's it's super simple for the Sacramento Kings this season. It's it's make the playoffs. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. Like that's that's all it is. No more of this. Hey, maybe the Kings can feel good about themselves and they can develop these young players into an exciting core. Hey, maybe Marvin Bagley can turn into something. So we're gonna give a, or give him a little more minutes or a little more opportunity, maybe in a winnable game, even if it costs the Kings a win. Those days are over. Like it's it's all about winning. Right now, the Sacramento Kings are not only trying to avoid – the wrong side of history uh they're they're trying to make sure that they can establish something for their uh, their young star who decided to stick with them in De'Aaron Fox and make no mistake about it De'Aaron Fox is an absolute superstar and not a lot of people get to appreciate his greatness the, maybe some of you saw stretches last season when he won his two Western Conference Player of the Week awards with how good that he can be but De'Aaron Fox is an absolute star and I had Sean Coleman uh on Locked on Kings not too long ago and We were having fun debating like De'Aaron Fox versus John Morant, which has been a conversation for a while. But one thing we talked about is, John Morant got the opportunity through the play in last season and in the playoffs to really show what he could do and, and become a star on that big stage. I guarantee you if De'Aaron Fox gets that stage, he will do just that, if not more uh, than what uh, John Morant was able to do. Fox is ready for that step. He's ready for that opportunity. The Kings just have to give it to him. It's a big if here in Sacramento, but like I said earlier, it's, it's absolute playoffs or bust, no excuses for this team.
7: And with the Raptors, it's kind of the exact opposite. We live in this blissful world where there are no expectations for this Raptors team. <laughs> they're super weird. They're super bizarre. They have all these weird six foot nine dudes who can't shoot, and they're just going to play experimental basketball. And see what happens. Their best player, Pascal Siakam, is out for the first month or so of the season as well. So that gives you a little bit of a cushion if they you know, start out of the gate poorly. It's, oh, Pascal's out. Then of course that's going to happen. There's really not, not going to be any ramifications for that. They're not going to fire the coach after a 2-10 and ten start to the season or anything like that. And also, everyone's just kind of happy the Raptors are back in Toronto after a year away. Like That is a pretty big and kind of un- slept-on storyline this year is the vibes in Toronto are going to be significantly better than they were last year. You know, you could tell me that they finished sixth with a top five defense and a, you know, a, a middling offense, and they sneak into that sixth seed in the Eastern Conference. I wouldn't be surprised. You could tell me they finished 12th with a horrible offense and a defense that doesn't quite come together and a bunch of dudes who don't quite supplant themselves or, or, or sort of make their case to be part of the team long term. I wouldn't be surprised by either, and I wouldn't be disappointed or overjoyed with either because all, all options on the table. It's beautiful. They're, the best part of watching a basketball season it with no expectations that is it, it always has the best the chance to be the best season you've ever watched and i, I think that's really on the table with this raptors team it's very hakuna matata as mm-hmm. they go into this year
4: we get the the freeform jazz odyssey toronto raptors over here which is kind of fun to have no expectations going into a year which point which guard is not scotty
7: the case barnes where- is happening and it's going to be something <laughs> i don't know what it'll be but it's going to be something <laughs>
4: Team to watch for sure. The, look, the Pelicans have pretty high expectations, in my opinion. I think most people are kind of pegging them in that play-in tournament range, like a lot of us here. Except you have Zion Williamson and you have Brandon Ingram, and they should be further ahead in the rebuild than they are right now. And so it's kind of disappointing to be setting the bar that low. And if they only get into the play-in tournament, and don't end up making the playoffs, you know that conversation around Zion's going to get even louder and louder and louder. But then you kind of look at the reality of the situation, and it's great to say they should be, you know, the sixth seed and avoid the playing and you don't even need to worry about it. But we're looking at Zion Williamson maybe not being ready for the start of the season. You've got your third head coach in three years coming in, trying to kind of right the ship when it comes to defense. There's a lot of noise in a lot of different areas. Some of it's piano music coming out of this organization a little bit too. And it makes me not feel too, too great. Again, they're relying on a lot of internal growth and I don't know if that's necessarily going to pan out. Certainly we hope it is. But you need to see these guys do it and it's going to be kind of over the first you know month of the season season or so, I think that you're going to kind of get some of that feeling. And if this team's going to be good or not, I'm I'm just kind of downplaying it a little bit. I think losing Lonzo ball, as much as you don't want to pay him 80 plus million dollars over four years, is still a bit of a downgrade. I like Devonte Graham and his three point shooting, but can he do much more than that? And it's kind of just a lot of pieces that don't really feel like a cohesive team here in new Orleans. And that is something that worries me. So quickly here, let's just kind of go around the group. I'm kind of curious since all of us kind of have our eyes on the play in tournament or a little bit better for our team. Is there one team that you look at and go, Oh man, if things don't go well, I'd worry about that team a little bit. Like who do you expect to maybe fall out of this group coming into this season? We can start with Sean Woodley.
7: Like, of these six teams on the on the screen here, Yeah, um, yeah let's make
4: fun uh, of each other and stress them out a little bit.
7: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I feel like the Raptors might be the candidate here, right? Like that there's a chance that they just are you know, not quite there. The, the Pascal comes back and is not hundred percent that they don't quite figure out what Scotty Barnes is. And they just, you know, their, their offense struggles to the point that they end up being like a 12 seed or something like that, in which case they'll happily take another lotto pick and run it back again next year. Uh, my other sort of seeker pick here is the Hornets. Sorry, Walker, Eastern conference rival and all that. I think there's a chance they're just like a year early. Like I think they're going to be good, but I think there's a chance that there's a lot being heaped on LaMelo ball to be like this savior of the franchise and maybe it's just a year early and it's the 2022-23 season where he really kind of takes that team to new heights
8: yeah maybe i'm gonna go here with teams that i have the highest expectations for and honestly the charlotte hornets are towards the top of that list one because i'm really intrigued by this team in the eastern conference now i ended up choosing the bulls this season as the eastern conference team that i'm going to follow most closely because i'm very intrigued by that team as well But I mean, I see the Charlotte Hornets as a playoff team uh, in the Eastern Conference. And I I think the expectations are high there, even though LaMelo is just in his second season, uh, especially with the, the pieces they have there around LaMelo, assuming that team can stay healthy, of course. So I think Charlotte is up there. But I also think the New Orleans Pelicans are an interesting one, too, kind of with what Jake laid out a little bit earlier. Like you have Zion, you have Brandon Ingram. This team should be better than what it is. Plus the addition of Jonas Valanciunas. I was pretty underwhelmed by what that team did this off season to be fair to them. But at the same time, like I, I feel bad for new Orleans Pelicans fans. Cause already all we're hearing is where's Zion going to go next. When he leaves new Orleans, is he going to LA? Is he going to this big market and as someone, who covers a team in Sacramento, Small Market Sacramento, who's heard that crap before every time there's a, a decent name here. It's it's exhausting. It's tiring. So if this team continues to struggle, that is only going to get louder and louder. So I think that fallout is something to follow as well.
9: Yeah, thank you guys for being the puppets and my puppeteering with the takes being all over the place. <laughs> and we've got one team that's going to be, one guy thinks they're going to be out. One guy thinks they're at the top of the expectations. The takes will be all over the place for the Charlotte Hornets team, but I get it. It's hard to figure out. You know, LaMelo Ball comes in as this stud that gives you, honestly, honestly, statistically, one of the better Rookie of the Year campaigns we've seen. And then it, the numbers were even better before he had the fractured wrist, tried to come back. It really bothered him with the shooting. So we'll see what happens with the Hornets. As far as a team that I think we might be a little high on, you know, the only, the only team I can really think of, I think it's all pretty appropriate. The Wolves just have a bad track record this year. And Ben, I give my condolences to you. Carl Anthony Towns is an absolute stud. I also love watching Anthony Edwards play. But you also have the Rosas stuff happening this close to the season. It just spells dysfunction, which we've experienced quite a bit as well. But also, I'm just not sure, does it, it, you know, D'Angelo Russell, I don't know quite to make of him and where his role fits in all of this. And here's Sean's talking about a trade. I mean, Minnesota has been involved in the Ben Simmons conversation quite a bit we'll see if that ever happens and if not then are they trying to figure out a way to trade a D'Angelo Russell and so the Timberwolves while I love Carl Anthony Towns I think Anthony Edwards is awesome it's just the Wolves are the team where I just don't know what quite to make of them and how they make that leap and a lot of it has to do with you guys being in the Western Conference I mean the Western Conference it's really hard Eastern Conference got better this year but we all know what it is in the West still.
6: I'll say the team that I'm probably the lowest on. And it's just because I think that that's you now kind of the best case scenario for them, maybe this year, is the Raptors. And it simply comes down to, like Sean mentioned, that you got the less certainty about them. You're trying to define a lot of futures that are there. You know, the development track's great in Toronto. You know that defense is going to be played, but who's going to stand out? And when it comes to the teams that in the West that I think, you know, really stands out as being, you know, Possibly the biggest question mark. I'll kind of turn the question around. We know that the offense certainly has a very high ceiling in Sacramento, in Minnesota, and in New Orleans which of those three teams can play the best defense. I think that that's going to emerge as the defining characteristic of which of those teams really has the best playoff chances, because that's what stands out about the Grizzlies. You're much more certain on the Grizzlies defense than you are their offense right now. So I think that I am probably the least confident in the Kings, just number one, because, you know, Matt George, but no, I'm just kidding. But all joking aside, I do think that when it comes to uh, the, uh, the, uh Timberwolves and the Kings and the Pelicans. I think that the Kings probably have the biggest question marks about their defense, but I think overall, that's what it comes down to. Which of those three teams will play defense the best.
5: For me, I always, I always default to uh, again, no offense, Matt, I guess, uh, Sacramento, because I mean, that's the one, <laughs> that's the one franchise that Timberwolves fans have been able to just point out and be like, yeah, but at least we're not the Kings, which of course is, is ridiculous because I mean, Rick Adelman years, right? Like the history is so, so, so much better for the Kings. And I get that. But over the past couple of decades, it's like the Kings and the Wolves are the two teams that have had basically no hope, but then almost some hope some of the time. And then, it, you know, come right back crashing down to earth. So uh, for me, and also, also partly to, to Walker's point about the Ben Simmons stuff, the Kings are another team that have been right up there in the top two or three teams mentioned as chasing Ben Simmons. And I think Simmons is a great fit with the Wolves. I don't know that he's a very good fit with the Kings. Um, And if that were to happen, I, you know, I think it probably improves the Kings, but I don't know that it necessarily makes them like a surefire playoff team because of the way Simmons plays and the way, you know, who would be around him in Sacramento. But um, so I guess I'd have to go with Sacramento.
6: And I'll say this, it also is kind of awesome, Matt, that you have the Lord of the Rings picture in your background because the Kings are kind of like Gollum in the Lord of the Rings, always chasing after that ring, but always failing in the process. It's kind of awesome you have that picture back there.
8: I love you guys. (laughs) I I love
3: this group. The Raptors had a long playoff streak, snapped a year ago a season in which they sent out Norman Powell to Portland at the trade deadline in a forward-looking move. Toronto continued their youth movement this offseason, sending Mr. Raptor Kyle Lowry to Miami in a sign-in trade that returned Goran Dragic and a promising young big man and precious Achua. They surprised some people on draft night when they decided to select Scotty Barnes over Jalen Suggs with the fourth pick. Uh, but both Suggs and Barnes should have terrific careers, and Barnes is one of the most versatile prospects to enter the NBA in the past few years. The Raps will focus on the development of their talented young core this offseason. Barnes and Achua join OG Ananobi and Gary Trent Jr. as core parts of Toronto's future. So they have the talent to be in the playoff mix, especially in the backcourt, uh, where veterans Fred VanVleet and Goran Dragic should give them enough depth to complement Pascal Siakam, who they hope has a bounce-back season that makes the All-Star team in the frontcourt. Minnesota started making significant franchise changes last season when they replaced head coach Ryan Saunders with Pelicans assistant Chris Finch, a rare in-season head coaching hire from another team. Uh, The franchise turmoil continued this offseason as head of basketball operations Gershon Rosas was let go and Sachin Gupta was promoted just days before training camp started. Timberwolves made the playoffs a few seasons ago, but the club has been in a constant state of flux since then, uh, making a number of trades in addition to the coaching and front office changes. They'll want to show progress this year under... Finch mainly to appease their star big man Carl Anthony Towns but also to show their talented young guard Anthony Edwards that the franchise is heading in the right direction. Uh, Towns, D'Angelo Russell and Edwards could form the nucleus of a talented offensive team but they'll need to stay healthy and also develop continuity in a Western conference that should be competitive as it's ever been.
4: Welcome back to the ultimate NBA season preview roundtable with some of our locked on hosts here. Teams on the rise trying to get into the play in tournament, into the playoffs and maybe change some of the recent past form. And we've got our final question for today's show. And that's one. It's pretty simple. Why will your team be different this season? I'm going to start. Because the Pelicans are on their third coach in three years, and it was an absolute disaster under Stan Van Gundy last year. And the Pelicans went the complete opposite direction. Instead of hiring a coach that wants to throw his players under the bus after games and yell at them in practice, they went with the kind of player's coach option in Willie Green. And the early returns kind of out of training camp and preseason are, vibes are good. And I'm enjoying covering a team with good vibes around them. So it really couldn't be much worse than it was last season. And if you can get Willie Green to reach through to some of these young guys, get him to commit on the defensive side of the ball, something that's been a bit of a theme here in some of the conversations we've had. I feel things could change a little bit for him if they actually defend well, they were a top 10 defense from March on last season. If you get these guys to really buy in, plus Zion health, I do think this team should be better than the play in tournament, which probably means they at least make the play in tournament, which could definitely Definitely be a good thing. So let's turn it over to the rest of the hosts here and start with Sean Coleman of On Grizzlies.
6: Yeah, it, that's the thing that I was talking about, you know, in the last segment about, you know, how defining characteristics of this team to me stand out is a bigger emphasis than making the playoffs because they have been really good on offense. Obviously, the defense, you know, being able to lead the league in turnovers, I think is going to be a key to success for them this season. But on offense, they led the league last year in terms of points in the paint on fast break, those hustle, miscellaneous stats, even in the NBA.com has them labeled as that. They were able to win games that way, getting that possession edge. but a lot of times the Grizzlies wound up trading too many twos and giving up too many threes. Their ability to defend the three, but most importantly, their ability with Jaron Jackson Jr. back, the Anthony Melton's improved shooting, Desmond Bain in a more featured role, and hopefully John Morant also improving his shooting. The ability for the Grizzlies to be able to rely on the three on offense to go along with their defense, that's the focus. That The motto is um, LTMF. I won't define that acronym, but that is the goal. Let it fly, basically, is the goal this year transitioning to a team that can reliably shoot the three and if they can do that you're looking at a team that not only can make the playoffs but if they can shoot the three well above average compared to the rest of the league I think you're looking at a team that can give someone a very tough series in the playoffs as well
8: Understandably, nobody outside of Sacramento is going to believe that it can happen in Sacramento until it actually does. But there are two things uh, that are, that are going to be the major difference for the Kings this year. One, they had depth all season long. And even with the limited depth that they had last season and the, uh, the struggles to stay healthy, especially in the middle towards the end of the season the Kings were right into the conversation till the very end to make the play in which they had honestly no business being in. So now that they have depth for an entire 82 game season, I expect the Sacramento Kings to be significantly better because of that number two, and I've been a little bit hesitant with this on locked on Kings because it's a lot of pressure to put on a rookie, but Davion Mitchell is incredibly good defensively, just immediately incredibly good. Now, De'Aaron Fox is already calling him a top five, uh, NBA on ball defender even before he's played a regular season game I don't know if I'm ready to go that far maybe it's because De'Aaron is facing him in practice every single day and is sick of it Tyrese Halliburton has said he's tired of playing against Davion and is looking forward to playing with him But Davion Mitchell brings an intensity on the defensive end of the floor that this Kings team hasn't had maybe since Doug Christie uh, was here years upon years upon years ago. Now, I don't expect a rookie in his play to completely change the the way the rest of the Sacramento Kings play. But De'Aaron Fox is capable of playing defense the same level as Davion Mitchell. And to that point, too. The Kings are asking for more defensively out of De'Aaron Fox, and if he's going to give more defensively, that means he has to give less offensively, meaning guys like Tyrese Halliburton are going to need to step up more. Buddy Heald in his off-the-bench role, Harrison Barnes even, and he had his best scoring year last season. I think the Kings did enough this offseason to address their biggest need to be Middle to like lower second, third defensively. And honestly, if they're 20th defensively, I think that's good enough to get them in. Now that's like a 9 10 team jump from last season, but it, they don't have to be a top defense to get in this year. Their offense is that good already.
9: Yeah, I'll, I'll go with a couple of things. One reason I think they're going to be a little different is because you kind of shifted to some degree with more front court depth than the Charlotte Hornets had last year. You bring in a Kelly Oubre, you're hoping Gordon Hayward can stay healthy, but we'll see. And I think Kelly Oubre is, you know, Gordon Hayward's health is part of the reason that they brought him in to help out at that small forward spot. Not to mention, you have a Jalen McDaniels, who I'm very high on as a tall, big, lanky 3 and D guy that's just going into his third year. I think he can really provide a nice role with the Charlotte Hornets team. So I'm excited to see where the potential of this front court depth can be. And also, one of the things that might be different in a worse way, we'll see if the internal improvement can help this team actually exceed expectations. But I don't think the ball is going to move around nearly as well. Part of that is because the Hornets put up historic numbers moving the basketball. There were, there were own reports here on the Locked On Podcast Network that were written about the Hornets and the assist numbers and the efficiency that were through the roof that were being as high as really since like 2002, something like that. The ball was moving like hot potato, and it was so much fun to watch. But Malik Monk is an extremely underrated passer. He's not on this team anymore. I think Devontae Graham is a very good passer as well. He's not on this team anymore. So what you did is you brought in a James Booknight guy coming in from college and facilitated better than I thought in summer league, but can't rely on a guy first year to come in and run the offense extremely well. You brought in Kai Jones, who is, has experiment written all over him. And it's LaMelo Ball that you're relying so much on to facilitate. And Terry's not the best passer or pick and roll decision maker. He's a shooter. He's going to go get his bucket. That's one of the worst things about this team. So if you're going from a positive standpoint, the way it'll be better, I think they got maybe a little bit more front court depth with McDaniels improvement and Kelly Oubre on this team. But in a way, it's not going to be as good. I think the ball movement has gone down a little bit.
7: Yeah, for the Raptors, I mean, the big thing, and I already mentioned it earlier on, is they have a home court advantage now. Last year, they had fans to start the season in Tampa and then stopped allowing fans in the building because they were getting booed by the opposing fans of, like, the Boston Celtics coming into town. That's not going to be the case this year. They go back to Toronto with one of the best home court advantages in the league. The second thing is, you know, Kyle Lowry obviously gone, and that seems like a bad thing, and it is a bad thing in a lot of ways, but there's been a lot of talk from Fred Van Vliet, Pascal Siakam, OG Ananobi, the coaching staff about how Kyle moving on kind of helps them make the team their own. It's never really been their team. You can't really make the team your own when you're in the shadow of the greatest Raptor of all time. And I think now we're going to get to see Fred Van Vliet kind of take the reins of the team. He's now in charge. Pascal Siakam will get to be the number one option, which wasn't always the case last year. And that caused some friction within the team. So That's a big thing. And the third thing is not just the Raptors, the thing that's going to be different. The very fabric of basketball might change as the Raptors roll out like five-man lineups of all six-foot-nine dudes. Like, we're going to see a lineup of Scotty Barnes, Pascal Siakam, OG Ananobi, Chris Boucher, Precious Achua at some point this year. And it might break the NBA. It's hard to say. It's too early to say in advance. But – that is what I think will be different with the Raptors this year, and the sort of experimental ball really I think has a chance to kind of set them up for a very weird and bizarre developmental track for the next couple of years.
5: The biggest thing for the Timberwolves is is coaching. Um, the last year and a half, or, or I should say, started last season, uh, or actually two seasons ago, back to the the uh, the COVID nineteen shortened shortened season the first time around, and then last year for the first half of the year, Ryan Saunders was the head coach. He ran an unnecessarily complicated offense. Um, and the defense was obviously terrible. Chris Finch, uh, he showed up and coached the team without so much as practicing with running a practice with the team last year, midseason, coming from a different organization, as you know, Sean, and, uh, he, uh, I mean, it, he brought a level of professionalism. Players seem to love him. Um, he was a defensive minded player in his day was known for that, um, back then and preaches that now. But in between, he was an offensive coordinator for some great offenses, both in New Orleans, um, as you know, Jake, as well as in Denver, uh, briefly was there early in Nikola Jokic's career. And I think he can really unlock what the Wolves do offensively. They've been a good offensive team, but there's no reason they shouldn't be a great offensive team with Carl Anthony Towns, arguably the best shooting big man of all time. D'Angelo Russell, regardless of how bad he is defensively, he's very talented on offense. And obviously now Anthony Edwards, adding all the elements that this team was missing before last year, offensively. Uh, this should be a top 10 offense easily. If he can get them to compete defensively uh, by by mixing up their schemes, they're going to start playing different pick and roll coverage this year. They're going to be playing at the level instead of playing drop coverage, which the team's ta- players have talked about already quite a bit throughout training camp as being excited to switch up what they're doing defensively. Um, and, and they feel like it'll keep them in games longer. Um, and, and then also I mentioned earlier depth, if the roster keeps improving incrementally as it has the past 18 months or so, um, we're going to see how the pieces fit finally with a healthy roster at the start of the season, combine that with competent coaching. And uh, I, I think that's why we'll see the wolves potentially break into the play in, uh you know, nine or 10 seed this year.
7: It's worth noting, Ben, that the Raptors season fell off a cliff last year, like the same day that Chris Finch got hired away. Could it be that their three best players got COVID in that same week? I don't know. It's hard to say. It's either Finch or COVID. I'm going to go with Finch to make you feel better.
5: (laughs) I appreciate that. I'll take that. I appreciate that.
8: I actually have a generic question to to throw out to the group, and I may regret asking this question, but I was having this discussion with a couple of guests on on Locked on Kings recently. Um, Let's just assume each one of our teams in our respective conferences is either a a seventh or eighth seed, so you only have to win one play-in game to actually make the postseason of all the non-tanking teams in your conference, which team do you think your, your uh, team would match up the best against to where you'd have the most confidence in that play and scenario that that team would come out with a victory on the other side? It's
7: the oh, Knicks, I'll, I'll jump because the Knicks here. are not good. The Knicks were an effectively annoying last season, and we're lucky because the East was riddled with injury. The Knicks stink. I don't even think they're going to actually make the play, and I think they are going to be the 11 seed this season, but mm. um, you know, if they are in there, I think any one of these teams matches up well with them.
4: Sean Woodley ready to get the fire from Knicks fans here on, on Twitter in a couple of minutes after people listen to this one for for the Pelicans I think it's the Memphis Grizzlies if they end up playing because they've kind of had their number for a while and I would absolutely love to see Valanciunas kind of get his revenge game paired alongside Zion Williamson they've they've done really well against the Grizzlies I don't see there there's any reason for that not to continue.
6: Oh, there's plenty of reasons for that not to continue. Number one, <laughs> there's defense on the Grizzlies. And number two, there's also the fact that I think that we would be able to shoot the three well finally against New Orleans. But Jake has every reason to have that opinion because the Pelicans have um had the Grizzlies number. Um, if there's a team... From the Grizzlies' perspective of things, we're talking about maybe the play-in game, but also the playoffs. I think if the Grizzlies were to make the playoffs, I want a full series against the Golden State Warriors. We matched up better than people may have thought into, Mm -hmm. into very critical games against them in the last week of the season. And I think that Dylan Brooks would be a terror for Steph Curry to have to deal with. And then beyond that, I do think we match up well with our defense and our style of play with the rest of their team. So if the Warriors were to fall into that play-in tournament again, or if we, for some reason, were to face the Warriors in the first round of the playoffs for whatever reason, if there's a team out there who's not in this group that we're talking about, I want another shot at the Golden State Warriors. I want to be a reason to end any talk of another dynasty emerging again from the ashes of what it once was. I want to end... Steph Curry's legacy like the Titans did Tom Brady sorry I got a little bit off topic there but you get my point Uh,
5: all all along those same lines picking a team that's not in this group and also not uh not tanking I'll go with the Utah Jazz and maybe this is completely fool's gold but the Wolves beat the Jazz all three times last year that they played them uh Towns mostly neutralizes Rudy Gobert with the way that the Wolves are able to play with him and uh I think uh, I, I don't know if I'm picking a team that's probably going to finish the top five or six in the West. Almost surely that would fall in the Wolves play one game. I pick the Jazz. I just like the matchup.
8: Well, if last season is any indication, I'm picking the uh, the Dallas Mavericks just because for some reason, the Kings always seem to play well against the Dallas Mavericks. I know Nick Ingstead is, is lurking somewhere, so I'm sure that stung him a little bit. Uh, but in reality, you cannot uh, hurt me. <laughs> not You're hurt not, me. not one of this group. Get out of here. Playoff team loser. Uh, and Oh, yeah, we've been there. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Other than that, sir, uh, I selfishly really want to see a, a play in game between the Memphis Grizzlies and, and the Sacramento Kings because those teams have played and the matchups between those two teams have always been really entertaining. The, the John Morant versus De'Aaron Fox battles in the past have been excellent to watch because both players seem to have success against uh, each team. However, De'Aaron Fox has outperformed John Morant so far, very slightly statistically, but I got to make sure uh, that I, I point that out. But regardless, I think that would be a phenomenal game to watch. I don't know if I'd give the Kings the edge necessarily because the Grizzlies are, have been there and the Kings haven't. And the Grizzlies know how to win in the play-in uh, format. But I think it would be a hell of an entertaining game from a, from a basketball standpoint. We're talking about like last season, the play-in stole the show with some of their matchups. I think that game would steal the show, bar
3: none.
9: Yeah, for the Hornets, Sean, I'll share in some of your uh, take as well with the New York Knicks. I'll I'll take some of the hate off if anybody's in your mentions. They can in mine as well. (laughs) Um, You know, maybe a surprising team is the Atlanta Hawks and the Charlotte Hornets played them really well last year. And I know they got to the Eastern Conference Finals, but the Hornets, they won the first two games. The only – the third game they played against them, they lost by four. I think the Hornets defend Trey Young really well, and and I think the Charlotte Hornets are able – get one over on the Atlanta at the Atlanta Hawks and so you know I I think that's just kind of a surprise team out there that did get these from conference finals Trey Young can scare the hell out of you because he can pull one from 40 feet and make it but at the same time you know that's one team where yeah they're going to be towards the top of the standings or at least battling for one of those top four spots but I think the Charlotte Hornets match up decently well with them and so that would be a surprise team I'd uh, be willing to compete with.
6: And I'll just say this as well. I know we're talking about playoff expectations. I know we're talking about all the great things for our teams. But how lucky are each of us to be focused and covering a team, this version of a team, where we've had this type of special talent that we haven't had in the while? I mean, for for Jake, it's Zion and Brandon Ingram, obviously, for Ben, Anthony, and Kat, myself, Jaw and Jaren. Players that are beloved around the league, LaMelo and De'Aaron Fox as well. Sean Woodley gets the covers, arguably the most intriguing player this year, and OG Ananobi. We're all covering teams that have players right now as the central focus of the team that we haven't seen in a while or at least be able to have these type of expectations. So I consider myself really lucky to be able to cover the Grizzlies with this type of talent on the team that we've never had. And I'm sure you all of y'all can feel in that feeling as well, You know, covering the respective teams that you do.
2: For more hopeful optimism or Sacramento Kings masochism or daily coverage for every NBA team, check out the Locked On NBA Podcast Network wherever you're listening to this podcast or on YouTube. Now, let's finish this off with our Locked On Fantasy Basketball host,
11: Josh Lloyd. Hi, guys. Josh Lloyd here from the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast. Let's take a look at the fantasy value of these teams. For Memphis, Ja Morant wasn't a top 100 category player last year. So he's being a little bit overdrafted. Be really cautious. I expect improvements from Jav- Jav from Jar, pretty significant improvements, but he's being overdrafted. I think Jaron Jackson's being underdrafted. He's got legitimate top 30 upside and you can get him in the 50s in drafts. It looks like Kyle Anderson might come off the bench. So that's going to help a value of Desmond Bain and of DeAnthony Melton. I like both of those guys as late round picks. While Stephen Adams has looked good in the preseason, I just wouldn't waste anything more than say my last or my 12th round pick on him at this stage. He was pretty poor last season and I'm not expecting him to be that absolute rebound beast that he's been in these first couple of preseason games. For the Pelicans... Um, Zion, I think, would have pushed into the second round had he not entered the season with a broken foot. Uh, Brandon Ingram's just a rock solid third round guy. Devontae Graham, I'm a little bit worried about how that backcourt's shaking out. I really like Nikhil Alexander-Walker as like a seventh or eighth round pick, but Graham, I'm not certain with the poor field goal percentage shooting. The fact that maybe he actually loses minutes to Alexander Walker so they can get Trey Murphy out there, who Trey Murphy is another one that I like as a late round pick for the Pelicans. For the Hornets, Lamelo's a solid third round guy. Rogier's like a fifth or sixth round player as is Gordon Haywood. And Miles Bridges and PJ Washington are great sort of round seven, round eight type of options. Mason Plumlee. Probably is the starting center. Probably doesn't play more than 25 minutes, but that's enough to push him into that top 100, top 110 mix. I'm not really investing too heavily or much at all in, say, a James Booknight or a Cali Oubre coming off the bench. I'm just not sure there's enough value in those guys. For Toronto, um, yeah, obviously really interested in Fred Van Vliet as a second-round player. I think OG and Anobi can push into the top 40, maybe top 30 for fantasy. I don't know whether they're going to start Trent or Dragic or both of those guys. I'm not interested in drafting either of them. And then at the center position, if they do give the nod to Precious Achua, I would draft him. Kem not so much. Boucher and Siakam out to begin the year. You can get a little bit of a value on Siakam in fantasy drafts. He's sliding into like the 80s. I think he can be a top 35 guy, so I'd happily take him in that area. And then there's Scotty Barnes, who's fine to take with a last pick, and there'll be an increased role for him early on. But when Siakam returns, and to a lesser extent when Boucher returns, maybe that upper limit for him just gets pushed back a little bit, and there's not enough to sustain long-term fantasy value. For Minnesota, Carl Anthony Towns top five guy to me. I think Anthony Edwards is a chance to crack the top 40, and D'Angelo Russell's getting underdrafted as well. He's probably a top 60 sort of guy. There's a ton of value there. It does look like Malik Beasley will come off the bench. That probably pushes him back to being a last round sort of player. Um, if they're going to start Josh Okogi there, Well, Jaden McDaniels is in that round 11, round 12 zone, but very similar to say Patrick Williams in Chicago. There's just not enough touches to go around for McDaniels to be useful enough as a blocks guy. Really fine, but you're just talking a, a late round option. And then in Sacramento, Darren Fox. I'm really expecting a big step forward for Fox this season. Hopefully, he can keep the free throw percentage increase. That makes him a third round, maybe second round guy. It looks like Heald might come off the bench. That pushes him back to around the 90-100 zone. Halliburton in the top 50 is absolutely a possibility. And then Barnes is sort of low upside, but rock solid in that 90-100 to 100 zone. And then Rashawn Holmes, a guy that gets consistently overlooked in fantasy. I have no problem, no hesitation taking Rashawn Holmes as a top 50 player for this season.
2: Tune in tomorrow for our final day of the Ultimate NBA Preview Podcast Series as we dive into the Playoff Hopefuls, six teams in the Eastern Conference who all have something to prove.